Hello, my name is Caroline Dooner, and this is the Fuck a Diet podcast. I'm recording this. I'm recording this intro from my phone and my headphones because ah, I drove to the beach to stay over for a night or two with my family, and I just I stayed a little bit longer than I thought I would, and I didn't bring my recording equipment, so I'm making do with what I have. And I'm recording this on June 6th. It will be coming out June 8th, and you'll be listening to it either June 8th or any time after that. Um, So I do apologize if the sound quality isn't quite, quite right. And if there are sounds, my dog is sitting at my feet, chewing on a a fox toy. There are birds who who chirp at me through the window. Um, So forgive me. Um, Today, though, I am sharing a conversation with Chrissy King. Chrissy is a writer, she's a speaker, she's a fitness coach, and she's the creator of the Body Liberation Project. And we recorded our conversation in late March, which was during the first few weeks of the quarantine. So in our conversation, we are talking more about the quarantine in addition to her experience with um, exercise and diet culture and food, um, and then her way out of that, how she came to have a better relationship with food and body and how she now shares that with other people. But we are not addressing racism, the protests that have been happening all around the country, justice for George Floyd, her experience with racism. Um, So I just want to give that disclaimer because if not, it, it would be a little bit confusing why we're just ignoring it altogether, but it just, it wasn't happening yet. It was obviously racism was happening. Racism is always happening. But the actual kind of like dialogue across the country that has been thankfully happening over the past week had not been happening. However, Chrissy is a black woman and she is currently offering anti-racism crash courses. She had three last week and next week she's also offering three. So the way that it works is you sign up for just one of the events and she's offering the events over and over and over again so they're live events but you can also get the replay and next week she is offering anti-racism crash courses and it's specific for wellness professionals but I do know that a lot of wellness professionals follow me so I wanted to offer this and also let you know that I have signed up have not taken it yet because it's on July 15th. So she has one on July 15th, July 16th, and July 17th. And you can find the links to sign up for those in the show notes and to learn more from Chrissy. Um, in, I just want to let you know what it says on the page so you have an idea of the kind of stuff that she's going to be covering. It's about examining white supremacy, racism, and bias in your own life and how you're being complicit because we all are without realizing it necessarily, how to actively hold yourself in the fitness industry accountable for making it a space that demands justice for all bodies. So this is fitness industry and wellness industry. How to leverage your privilege to create actual change within the fitness or wellness industry. Resources to educate yourself on the intersection of racism and wellness and how to show up better and embody anti-racism practices year round, not just when it's prominent in the news and media, which is what we're seeing a lot right now. A lot of armchair activism, a lot of virtue signaling. I personally have been wondering and struggling might not be the right word, but wondering how to navigate um, sharing what is important without just being a little armchair activist and and in virtue signaling making it seem like I'm you know all woke and great and supporting Black Lives Matter and racism without um, ignoring it altogether because I really I mean I have been off social media this past week which I also want to talk about but when I have logged on from my desktop I've noticed a lot of very newly woke white women uh, being a little, I don't know, a little fake, I think. And, and I, I think that it's a difficult thing to navigate because we want to be able to share. We want to spread the news. We want to show our support. We want to um, be able to educate other white women so it's not on black people to do it. But I don't know. I do. I do think that it's a tricky thing that people are trying to navigate and trying to learn about 
I don't think there's a perfect way to do it. Um, but all we can do is, is continue to learn and be better and do better. So before I share my conversation with Chrissy, I want to talk about this a little bit and talk about some resources and talk about some of the things that I've been learning and sitting with and figuring out how to navigate, how to share. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the term anti-racist, anti-racist, and why that is, oh dear, do we hear, do we hear the, uh, the jets overhead? I can never tell what you guys can hear and what I should be addressing and what I should just be ignoring on the microphone. So this is something that I shared on Twitter a couple of days ago, and I just want to read it because it addresses racism and people saying, oh, I'm not racist. So this is what I've learned about, quote, I'm not racist versus anti-racism. White people cannot say that we are not racist. We've grown up in a racist world and we have soaked up racism through, osmos through osmosis. It's everywhere. Therefore, white people are racist, whether we want to be or not. And to say that we aren't racist, which I totally understand why that would be something that you would want to say. I'm not racist. I love everyone. I, I care about racism. But to say that we aren't racist is actually a way to shut down the conversation and to shut down introspection and to shut down any accountability for the ways that we may be complicit in racism, whether we want to be or not. So instead, the idea is to be committed to anti-racism, which encourages us to be open to the ways that we might, in fact, be racist, okay? And open to fighting racism within ourselves and within the system ongoing. And you could also compare this and find the parallels to diet culture and fat phobia. So to say I'm not fat phobic is probably not true. <laughs> you probably are. We all are to a certain extent, even fat people. Um, even if we've done all this work, even if we have every intention to not be fat phobic, it is such a part of our culture that you know, it lives within us. It affects the way we think about things and the way we treat people and the way we treat ourselves and, you know, the, the things that we try to align ourselves with. Um, and to say that we are not fat phobic at all would be to shut down kind of even the conversation within ourselves to continue to be open and examine the places that we continue to be fat phobic. You see, we're all... We all need a shit ton of work, okay? And to say that we're, we've arrived and that we're now perfect, better people who, you know, are completely devoted to social justice. You know, even if we are devoted to social justice, it doesn't mean that we don't have internalized things that we need to work on. And so I think that's important for everyone to continue to remember and for me to remember as well this is a, this is an ongoing this is an ongoing practice and I also there's another tweet by it's Jack oh it's Jackson BB's it's Jackson BB BBZ I saw this on Instagram but it was a tweet from him and it said you never arrive at allyship you must continue to practice allyship it's sort of like you know meditation or yoga or body acceptance we don't arrive it's it's hard, it's ingrained, it's cultural, it's systemic. We have to just keep doing the work and keep examining the places where we and the culture and companies and groups and systems and families that we live in are exhibiting and internalizing all of those things as well. Does that make sense? Also, racism, I, I really am fascinated by trauma and what trauma does to us and how in how in how many ways we are traumatized and in how many different ways we are traumatized and by we I mean we as a country and we as people and we as separate communities and if you've read the fuck a diet book you know that I do talk about trauma and how trauma lives in the body and and what trauma actually is trauma is an experience that wasn't processed and and healed um, and so it lives within us and it is easily re-triggered and it's not easy to heal trauma so I don't want any anyone to listen to this and be 
think that I'm saying, oh, y'all need to just heal your trauma. Duh. No, it's hard. It takes time. It takes mental health support. It takes awareness. It takes, you know, re-examination and it takes safety. And so racism inherently is a reoccurring trauma. And it's also an ancestral trauma as well. There's a lot of work out there on ancestral trauma. One of the books about it is, um, what's it called? The Body Keeps the Score. And the book that I read and really loved and informed a lot of the fuck a diet is called Waking the Tiger. Um, but ancestral trauma is a thing. It gets passed down. It affects the way that we react to things. And so if what trauma requires is safety, time, space, money, mental health support in order to work through it, in order to just be in a place where you're not exhausted, run down, re-triggered all of the time, then if you think about that in terms of racism, there has never been a chance, and also fat phobia and weight stigma, there is never a chance to do that healing because you are constantly being re-traumatized by the world. And I just, you know, one of the millions of things that needs to change, I think, is a better understanding of trauma and how trauma affects us. And that's something that I'm particularly interested in. But um, just wanted to put that out there for people who have read the book, who have a little bit of an understanding of how I see trauma. I think that that's such a big piece of the picture and it's such a big part of social justice and justice in general and racial justice. So let me talk a little bit about my social media break because it was last Thursday that I I realized that I wasn't able to do my work because I was genuinely addicted, addicted, my God, addicted to social media. I mean, really, truly. And I have been for a little while. I use it all the time. I'm on Instagram all the time. I'm on Instagram stories all the time. Um which is, I would say, better, a better use of social media, honestly, than uh, checking and scrolling and obsessively checking my DMs and obsessively checking my notifications and obsessively checking my comments and obsessively scrolling through comment threads and reading the like horrible exchanges. I mean, my God, if you want to stress yourself out, go read the comments or tweet replies and then the replies to the replies on social media. It's just one big fight. And I was addicted to it. I mean, truly, 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 I would waste hours, hours, hours a day scrolling. And I think the quarantine made it worse. And I I was not focusing on work. I was not able to put my phone away. And even when I then deleted Twitter and Instagram off of my phone, I had this like this compulsion to open it up and my thumb would go to where the icons used to be without me thinking. I I logically knew it wasn't on my phone, but my thumb was still going to it to get like a like a you know, a fix. It was an emotional addiction. I was I was addicted to the feeling that those notifications were giving me. And I had this stack of books. I had the stack of books that I wanted to read for working on my book. And I had a stack of books and audiobooks that I've been meaning to read on da 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 racism and white supremacy. Things that I'd bought being like, I'm gonna read this and I'm gonna expand my knowledge and understanding of how all of these things are working together and how I'm complicit in it. And did I ever read any of those things? No. Why? I was scrolling on my phone. I was even scrolling on my phone while I was watching TV and, and watching movies at night, all the Marvel movies. I was like checking Instagram every five minutes. It was really bad, <laughs> really bad for my brain, really bad for my ability to be present, to do the work that I needed to do, to even sit with my own thoughts and feelings about anything, anything that's going on. Um, so last week... I decided that I need a couple days break just to kind of break that habit of using Instagram as a way to distract and numb myself, which is also something that I talk about in the Fuck a Diet book. Sometimes 
you don't take your own advice and you need to figure out the ways that you're not taking your own advice and reapply it. And I want to tell you, it, the first two days I had that kind of compulsion where, compulsion where my thumb kept on wanting to go onto Instagram. But then I stopped and I started reading and I started listening to, listening to the rest of um, the books that I had started listening to and reading a new book called How to Do Nothing that I had been meaning to read to research a little bit for my book. I have, I have a stack of books. That's not the only one. Um, listening to the rest of Fearing the Black Body by Sabrina Strings. I just had space to, to read and to process and reflect. I was still able to go online and check and see what was happening because then, of course, what I turned off my social media just in time for the, the protests spreading across the country, um, which wasn't necessarily great timing because then it looked like I was not there to repost and comment and support. And that was a shame in some ways, though I do think that a lot of what is happening right now is just happening on social media and by that I mean people posting their support but not really doing anything about it and just thinking that a retweet is is enough. Um, I went offline. I was donating. I was with my family at the beach talking about racism. They are not woke. They watch Fox, Fox News. I like had to be sitting there being like, okay, but let's talk about the other side of this, please. And it's not easy, I will say, um, but I made a little bit of headway, I hope. And basically, I am trying to figure out how to bring it into my real life and take real action and have real support. Um, I popped on on Tuesday, which I didn't know was Blackout Tuesday because I wasn't on social media. I posted something, got ripped to shreds in the comments by white people, not not black people, saying you should not be posting today. Didn't know, looked it up, took it down, and then reposted something that hopefully is helpful and people are able to read and follow different accounts and take action and donate to places. And that's still up if you want to check that out. I posted that on June 2nd. Um, and then I went back and then I deleted Instagram from my phone again because I, I felt I needed more time to to not be addicted to Instagram and to actually do the things that were on that and donate to more places, follow more accounts, and talk to my family some more. Um, okay, so that's where I've been, and that's why I wasn't on social media. It wasn't to avoid posting about it or reading about all the stuff that's going on in the country. It was so I could work. It was so I could read. It was so I could figure out how to genuinely and truly integrate this into my life. But before I share my conversation with Chrissy, I want to talk about some of the things that I am reading right now, some of the things that I have bought and intend to consume and read right now, some of the accounts that you can follow. Um, and then I want to talk just a little bit about the hashtag and the movement Abolish Police because I read a really good thread explaining it that I found very helpful. I also have um, family members who are who are police, who are in the state police. And I, I just feel like I, that's why I, f I feel like I need so much reflection. I need to do so much reading. I need to really like learn from black people and black people's experiences, really learn what good police reform can be and should be because that I support that a million percent I mean police brutality is like the grossest most horrible thing to me and I know that it happens all the time and I know that it's very racially charged and I know that it we need like sweeping systemic change I know it I feel it I see it I feel it in my bones I know that it's time and it's been time for a long time um, I just I do feel like I, I'm not good at speaking on things until I've like really internalized them because otherwise I'm just spewing what other people are saying instead of really speaking from a place of understanding. 
It's the same thing with um, the fuck it diet. Like there are so many pieces of non of the non diet puzzle that I don't speak to because I don't understand it as well. But I speak to what I understand in my bones, and that's for for get, for good and for bad because that means that there are things that I don't always speak to or don't always, always explain or don't even un- always understand myself. But <sighs> okay, let me let me talk about some other things that I am reading. Let me talk about some of the things that I'm reading. Okay, so the book that I, I, I want to talk about the things that are specific to diet culture and um, body liberation that are connected to racism and policing black bodies, and then also things that are not necessarily directly connected in the way that they present themselves, but are inherently connected to what's going on in our country. So I've said it many times, but the book, Fearing the Black Body by Sabrina Strings is a really good way of laying out a historical narrative of how diet culture and white supremacy are very, very connected and always have been. It's a fascinating, fascinating book. Um, It's very uncomfortable, but it's just in the way that, you know, it's going back to slavery and the way that these white men were writing about, you know, what is beautiful and what is not beautiful. And um, I I highly recommend it. You can also listen to Sabrina Strings on Chrissy Harrison's, Christy Harrison's podcast. Um, I will link to that as well in the show notes. Another account that I really love that is geared towards black people, but it's talking about rest as a form of resistance Um, really talking about ancestral exhaustion and chronic exhaustion and the exploitation of black people throughout history is the nap ministry and I've I've followed them since 2016 when I was doing my own rest because they talk about rest all the time and but they are they are even more geared towards how rest is a form of resistance and um and and uh social justice there's also, there are also two really good accounts I'm also going to be linking to in the show notes, and they um, were the ones who started the hashtag Amplify Melanated Voices over this past week. It's the account Black and Embodied and also JessicaWilson.msrd. So I will share both of those, but those are really great accounts that are, they are activists and they are talking about racism and the Black experience, but they are also... Uh, talking to this whole diet culture thing that we're all trying to work through as well. I also am learning from Rachel Cargill on her Patreon, The Great Unlearn. And then the books that I bought but have not read yet are So You Want to Talk About Race, White Fragility, and Mean White Supremacy. I bought them. I started all of them but couldn't finish them because how many... First of all, my social media addiction, but also I've realized like, okay, there are only so many, there are only so many books you can read at one time while also working. And so I'm trying to navigate this. I have, I'm like slowly working my way through, right? We can't read seven books at once. You have to read one or two at a time. And that is what I intend to do. I'm linking to all of these in the show notes. Okay. And then before we get into the conversation with Chrissy. I want to talk about the hashtag abolish police and um, I want to read at traveling nuns thread. Her name is Bridget Eileen. Her hashtag is at traveling nun and this is the thread. I'm going to read a lot of it and I'm also going to link to it in the show notes. So this is what she said. She said, do you or somebody you know think that hashtag abolish the police is unrealistic? It might be because you haven't taken the time to understand what it means, the reasons for it, and why it actually makes a lot of sense. Abolishing the police isn't about establishing some kind of free-for-all anarchy where everybody polices themselves and you just hope that nobody decides to police themselves into robbing you or killing you. Abolishing the police is about the end of policing as we know it. It's about recognizing that the role policing plays in our society is not a role that it should have ever been given or that we should allow it to continue to have. It's about recognizing that we have taken almost every single one of our country's most pressing social issues and handed them over to the police to fix with guns and handcuffs and charges and prison. 
our cities are facing a housing crisis. So instead of figuring out a way to provide affordable housing, which is seriously shouldn't be that complicated for the richest country in the world to figure out, we criminalize homelessness and send in the police to make arrests. Drugs are destroying people's lives in this country. So instead of providing access to treatment and recovery support and helping people escape addiction, we criminalize and send the police, unless they're white. In that case, they need treatment and recovery. Our public education system is failing communities of color and students in poverty. poverty. So instead of funding schools better, paying teachers more, and reducing classroom size, we send the police to patrol public school entryways and hallways and funnel kids into juvie. We live in a country where millions of hardworking people don't make a living wage and thus resort to desperate measures to feed their families. But instead of addressing rampant wealth inequalities and fixing the issues that cause them, we send the police. We live in a country where one mistake could get you branded as a felon and permanently relegated to an, to an underclass where you can't find work, can't vote, and where police control every aspect of your life. And if you mess up even once by, say, forgetting to call in, you go back to jail. Abolishing the police is about recognizing that if we took away the police, every single public issue that they should have never been given to fix in the first place the police would literally have nothing to do because we've turned them into social workers with guns. And I think that that's a very important thing to realize and kind of like the, the thing that I've latched onto. It's about recognizing that we don't know what a healthy police force looks like because we can't imagine a world where we actually take care of our social ills instead of policing them. It's about recognizing that we've used the police as a cover for rampant racial and economic inequalities that our country is unwilling to fix and that the ones who have paid the price for this most dearly are black people whose communities are policed into oblivion. It's about recognizing that policing in this country as we know it must end. Uh, okay, sorry, I'm not reading correctly. It must end because it's wrong and unjust and untenable in a free society. It's about recognizing that this country needs to stop hiding behind the police and finally take action to fix our social ills. And side note, this, is, this goes right in line with what I was talking about, trauma. And that's something that we need therapy and social work and understanding of trauma and how that affects people and communities in order to truly... If we really cared, if we really cared and really understood, we would understood how we would understand how important that is. Okay, back to this thread. It's not about establishing some kind of unrealistic utopia where everybody just magically gets along. A just and free society will still have people who break the law, who kill, who steal. But police in that society will be so different from everything that we assume needs to be true about police today that we might not even recognize them as police because our concept of policing is so twisted and wrong and messed up. Abolishing the police is about recognizing that every single effort at police reform has only ever resulted in reinventing the same oppressions all over again. It's about recognizing that maybe we just need to start over with a clean state. Slate, my God, I'm sorry that I keep... I think there's something a little foggy about my brain today. And that's why I keep saying words wrong. And I apologize. I really do. It's about recognizing that maybe we just need to start over with a clean slate. And finally, abolishing the police is not about hating cops. Any police officer who's taken the time to honestly and critically reflect upon his own frustrations with his own job knows that this country expects police to be social workers with guns and that this is wrong. You don't have to agree with abolish the police, but at least give it enough respect to understand what it means. And if you do support abolishing the police, educate yourself on why this is reasonable and what that could look like so you can represent the movement well. And then I'm going to um, link to this thread. And then at the bottom of the shred, oh my God, see, why is my... My brain is replacing words with other words that sound slightly similar. At the bottom of her thread, she shares links that you can, you know, follow them to. And there's more, there are more resources at the bottom of this link. 
So she links to a book by Alex Vitali called The End of Policing and other things. She links to other things. And someone responded to this thread saying, I thought that this was unrealistic a week ago. I think I'm a convert. And the line that got me was 90% of what the police do could be done and better by a well-trained social worker. And I was reading this thread and I was reading some of the resources that she posted and somebody else said, it's not that there won't be people with guns who can respond to violent offenders when, when needed, but that is not what is needed the majority of the time. And I think that that's really important to reflect on. I will say that I do think the slogan abolish the police is confusing because abolish means get rid of entirely. And so it makes it sound like, it makes it sound like to me, before I read this thread, I was like, okay, so you want us to just not have any police at all? What about the, you know, what about the fill in the blank? What about the rapists is the thing that I keep thinking about. But then of course there are all of these people saying, well, you know how many police officers, A, are rapists themselves and don't take rape very seriously. So there are huge systemic problems. Okay, that is something that I know to be true. And the people to, who know or have plans on how to fix it are not me. I'm learning. I'm listening to those people and sharing the things that I find interesting. Wow, this is long. This is long, long, long. Okay. Are you ready to hear my conversation with Chrissy King? Before I share it, I just want to tell you very quickly that my hair experiment where I'm trying to train my hair to be less oily is still going as lamely as always. For the past couple weeks, I've been co-washing, which means washing with conditioner, every other day, and the jury is still out. I'll, sh I'll update as I go. And the very last thing is, yes, I still love Sebastian Stan. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with Chrissy King. My name is Chrissy King. I'm a Brooklyn-based um, writer. I'm still doing a little bit of strength training for clients um, remotely. I don't train in person anymore, and that's very small part of what I do now, actually. Um, and I work with a lot of my clients still, though, around body image, um, body acceptance, and just learning how to be at peace with our bodies um, and in a loving relationship with our bodies. Um, and so my work has really transformed a lot over the years. Um, but that's kind of what I'm up to these days. That's awesome. So you'd already sort of moved away from in-person strength training even before the world shut down. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. No, I haven't trained in person in years, actually, um, probably like at least three years. So no, that uh, did not affect me in that That's regard. great. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> that doing that. <laughs> that was a blessing. Um, yeah. But I still do a lot of my work in the health and fitness space. Um, and I do, I talk a lot about the need for more diversity, inclusion and in fitness industry. Yes. Um, so I'm very much like in the space still, but not training clients in person anymore. Amazing. Um, so how did you get into the work that you do? How did that evolve for you? Absolutely. So I um, worked in a corporate job for the federal government for over a decade. Um, oh. And yeah, <laughs> and it was one of those things um, was never like what I intended to be doing. I just I had graduated from college and I thought I was going to go to law school and I was like, well, I, I really want to work for a year. And I literally had a sorority sister and I just was like, hey, don't you work for this government agency? Are you guys hiring right now? And um, she was like, yeah, send me a resume. And like literally wow. two weeks later, I had a job. Wow. And then I just started working there um, and I started making really good money. Um, I was in an upper management position, making six figures and just was like, okay, this is what I do now. Um, but also um, found myself very unhappy mm. and in this weird space because I was like, you know, I have all the things that according to any person would feel really excited about, right. but was feeling um, really unhappy. And so was feeling guilty because I'm like, I should be grateful for everything that I have. I shouldn't be questioning, you know, or feeling miserable. And, and I just had like a lot of shame and guilt around that. Um, but anyways, during the course of that time, I joined a gym and I joined the gym for one reason only. I was like, I want to be skinny. That's all that matters to me. And so I joined the gym and hired a trainer. Um, and my trainer, I told my trainer my goals. I'm like, listen, I don't care about anything, but like losing weight. I don't, I don't even want to be in shape. Like that doesn't even matter to me. I don't care about that. Right, right. Just show me the exercise so I can make my body smaller. 
Um, and anyways, this trainer um, had me start strength training, which I was very confused by because I was like, I, I said, I want to be smaller. I don't want muscles. I don't understand what we're doing, but I had committed. So anyways, I started working out with her and actually started after a few months, I was like, wow, actually my body's doing things I never thought I could do. I have never been uh, very athletic. I never had like strength wasn't a thing that I thought was possible for me. Mm. And so I started seeing like physical changes in my body and just what my capabilities were. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. And I got really into the feeling of like, my body, I can like strength is a muscle, like in as a skill, like anything else. Right. Um, and then through a course of events, I ended up at a different gym, which was a strength and conditioning gym. And I saw for the first time ever in life, I saw women who were like powerlifting, they were like benching and squatting and deadlifting. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. But I could never do that. Mm-hmm. And so I just watched for a long time. And eventually the owner of the gym, I don't really know what prompted him to do this still to this day. But he just taught me how to power lift on his own. He didn't even charge me. Like I, he was like training me one on one. I don't know why he ever did that. <laughs> I, I should ask him actually. I still am in contact with him. I should yeah. ask him why he decided to do that for me. But power lifting was so empowering for me. Um, and I was actually really naturally pretty good at it. Um, and so within, you know, a couple of years, I was like competing in powerlifting. Um, I had deadlifted, you know, over 400 pounds, was squatting over 300 pounds, like stuff that previous me never thought was possible for myself. Um, And so I just really noticed how much um, strength was transformative for me. Um, And at that time I was trying to get another gym and the owner of that gym was like, Hey, have you ever thought about training clients? Like you relate to people really well. And I was like, no, not really. Um, But he, I got certified and he let me work under him and also was really generous. Let me train clients there for free. I've now that I'm saying this story, I had like a really lot of great people in my life. Um, but that kind of got me into coaching and training and I worked primarily with women. Um, and you know, strength training was really transformative for me for a lot of reasons. Um, from one, it really helped me change my relationship with my body. I stopped being about shrinking my body and seeing like, wow, how amazing my body is and all that I'm capable of. And then secondly, um, because I always had the narrative that I was just a weak person and I proved to myself that that wasn't true, I was like, wow, what other narratives have I been holding on to that also mm-hmm. aren't true? Right, um, yes. And so that was the thing that was really a big transformative for me. Yeah. Uh, so where so where in that journey did you have the shift uh, away from shrinking and and getting skinnier? Was there Was there anything that, do you remember that moment or was it more gradual? Uh, no, I remember because actually, even after I had been powerlifting for a long time um, and was really, really strong, I was still really, really focused on physique and what I looked like. I was tracking macros for a very long time, right. um, obsessively tracking macros. Um, I, w- I didn't have a healthy relationship with food at all, such that like I couldn't go anywhere without being hyper-focused on what I was going to be able to eat. Um, I would take my food with me. Like I, and I think the low point for me was like a weekend away with um, my in-laws at the time. And it was just a weekend and I, I packed all my food for the weekend and they, everyone was going out to the restaurant at this dinner uh, for dinner. And I stayed in the car because I had my own food in a Tupperware container that was like, mm. you know, I've been sitting in the car all day. And, you know, then it, like, of course, my, my in-laws, they're like, why are you staying in the car? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I brought my own food. And they weren't judgmental, but I think they just felt really sad for me. Mm. Um, and so I, I remember they were really great. They went in and asked the restaurant if I could bring my food in. And so I did. But I was just like, wow, this is really, really sad, actually, um, that this has like, I'm so obsessed that I can't enjoy a weekend. I can't enjoy a meal. Yeah. Um, it was just a really low point for me because I was like the leanest I'd ever been. I was in like really quote unquote great shape, whatever that means. Right. Cause in hindsight, I would never use those words, but, right, right. um, but in, in my mind at that time I was really strong. I was like in the best shape of my life and I was miserable, like completely miserable, had the worst relationship with my body and with food that I'd ever had. But yet like in the exterior, people were constantly complimenting me on how I looked and how like my physique was. And so I think that weekend was just like, I got so sick and tired of myself that I was like, I have to change this because I can't live the rest of my life like this. Yes. Yes. I know a lot of people had a similar, you know, a lot of people who listened to my podcast definitely went through a similar thing. Like it's so socially isolating. And I, I resonate with it so much as well. The, the amount of times when people would say that they would cook me a dinner and I was like, 
okay, but you can't use any oils that I don't approve of. And like, I just like, couldn't enjoy, I couldn't enjoy anything. Yeah, at all. And it's so weird now because I look back at some of those pictures from that time period and I'm like, I'm so much smaller than I was now. And I just think of like how, but even when I was that small at that time, it still wasn't enough in my mind. It right. was always like, oh, I just need five more pounds. I just got to change this right. part of my body. I just right. got to do this. And so also it was a recognition for me that like, if I don't fix things, it doesn't matter what I do. It's never going to be enough. And I'm going to continually be on this like downward spiral. Um, and so, yeah, I just had to stand up as enough. I think it's so interesting because I've noticed, I noticed for myself and I've noticed with other people it's like you almost have to hit that rock bottom yourself. Unfortunately, you almost have to like see it yourself and be yes. like, oh, I've been doing this over and over and over and I'm still not happy or I still don't feel like I've made it. Like you almost have to see that dynamic play out in order to be like, okay, this doesn't work. Like this is not the way I want to live, you know? I 100% agree because even, I mean, it's totally true because my family, you know, very... Uh, supportive people, but they were like a little concerned about some of my habits and like would say things to me or like try to reassure me that what are you talking about? You don't need to lose weight. You look great. But it didn't matter to me what other people said. Right. And it didn't matter to me what their concern was. It didn't matter how many people complimented me. It, I had to get to that point myself. Um, and no one else's words were really affecting me in that way. Yeah. Yeah. That was the same thing for me too. So before, okay. So before you went to that first gym that you mentioned and were like, Hey, I want to be skinny. Did you already, was that sort of like the beginning of your extremely disordered sort of relationship with food and exercise or was it sort of disordered before? And then this was just sort of like the, the journey that took you out of it. No, know. that was definitely just the journey to took it out of it. I went on okay. my first diet. So it's funny. I used to always tell the story that I went on my first diet when I was 17 or 16 mm -hmm. or 17. And I remember specifically what prompted that. There was a boy I went to high school with and he commented about like how I've been eating good lately mm -hmm. um, and like pointed out my weight gain and I was really embarrassed. And so I didn't, I mean, I was 16. I didn't know what to do. So I like heard my mom's friend had been talking about the Atkins diet. So I, I drove my, this is how old I am. I drove to the bookstore and I like oh bought God, a book. I did the same thing. <laughs> I did I bought, this I'm like, I'm like, as a teenager. A book yes. About the Atkins diet. And I'm like, yeah. okay, this is what I'm doing. But what's really interesting though is I was home over the holidays and I was helping my mom clean up the basement and I found this journal that I had from when I was like a kid and I like had no recollection of this at all, but I, I opened the journal and it had like the year and the date it had everything on. I just gotten it for Christmas. Anyways, I was like 12 years old and in the journal, I had a plan for what I needed to do every day for exercise and what I was allowed to eat and not to eat. And I couldn't even believe, like I had no recollection of at 12 years old wow. having this, like, I, and it was like ridiculous. I could eat like, you know, 300 calories max for breakfast. Mm. And it was like this list of things I had to exercise every day. And I had like my written out exercise and we do like 50 jumping. It was, you know, very elementary, but I was a kid. Right. And, and I, and then I had a journal entry the next day and I was like, oh, I'm so tired. I stayed up so late for the new year. I don't really feel like working out today, but I have to because I have to meet my goals. And I was like, wow. wow, that's so sad. I've been dieting for like my whole life and I don't even remember that period. And like how ingrained it is in our culture that like kids just assume, I mean, I, again, I did, I definitely did the same thing where you just assume this is healthy. This is good for me. This is going to make me happier. Right. Right. And I'm like, I don't even know where I got those ideas from at such a young age. I'm sure maybe my family, I don't really remember. Right. Um, but I also don't, it's weird. Cause I don't remember. I mean, even when I think about it now, there's not like my mom, my sisters, no one's really weight obsessed in my family. So I'm not really sure where I picked up those habits, but obviously I picked them up somewhere. Yeah. They're like in the ethers. I feel like for us, it's just like so culturally ingrained. You hear people talking about it uh, on TV shows, in movies. Uh, like it's just like part of our, you know, we just have like fat phobic jokes basically. Right. It's like everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. When you sort of had your moment where you realized that the obsession with food and becoming thinner wasn't serving you and that it was making you miserable, what did that healing process look like? The thing that I did, which I know 
some people, it was scary for me too. It can be really scary, but I, um, I personally stopped tracking macros cold Turkey. I was just mm-hmm. like, we're done with this. I can't mm-hmm. do this anymore. Um, and again, that's scary, but there's also, um, that part of, if you've been tracking macros for a lot of years, you can still in your head kind of know what you're eating. Right. right. So yes, it was scary, but also like I was still, um, semi-tracking in my mind, but like right. slowly over time I loosened up and I was like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm just going to eat this whole meal. And I'm going to think about how much is in it. And you know, it was little by little, but it was like those little things I did this, you know, I started putting cream in my coffee and not thinking about tracking it. And I was like, okay, I didn't die. I'm okay. Everything's fine. Right. Yeah. And it was just like those little steps really helped me build confidence to be like, okay, I can take a little bit further. I can step out a little bit more. Um, you know, social situations got a little bit better because I wasn't stressing about everything. Like, oh, I don't want to go here because there's going to be food or I'm not going to be able to control the food. Um, so it was a very slow process, little by little. And then eventually got introduced um, to health at every size. Yes. And that was like a game changer for me um, because again, because of diet culture, I always assumed that if you're in a smaller body, that means you're healthy. Health at every size is such a game changer because it takes away the like the quote unquote health reasons that we were all using and right. like we can't use those reasons anymore, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It changed it for me a lot. Um, and also like through that helped me reevaluate, like my relationship with exercise wasn't really quote unquote healthy, you know, like I had, um, a very strained relationship with exercise that like, I could not miss a workout. I would move all my social plans around or like if you knew me back then, if you asked me to do something that was going to interfere with my workout, the answer was going to be no. And that's not a healthy relationship with exercise. So, um, Um, It really helped me just become, you know, more, you know, redefine what health means actually for one, first and foremost, um, and just um, change to my, my movement, my reason for movement were simply to, uh, in a lot of ways were to maintain my body. And then I did love powerlifting. I love the feeling of being strong, but even that had some underlying (laughs) issues with it too. Um, And so it really helped me just um, move from a practice of movement for joy or move to a practice of movement for joy um, and to do things that really felt good for my body and made me feel good. That's so great. And just so healing that you're able to now share that with other people. Yeah, it's been a long, it's a, I mean, and yeah, I mean, it's a long time coming. Um, but also like, I, I'm really grateful that I'm grateful for the things I went through because again, I don't think my story is that much different from any other, anybody else. I think so many people have gone through or are currently going through the same thing. So yeah. it's been really helpful in working with my clients because I've been there and I understand exactly what that feels like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So for everyone listening, I'm not sure when this episode is going to come out, but we are like, in it. We are in the quarantine right now. It's March 26th. um, And there are all of these, first of all, I really do think that this is understandably, I mean, this is very bizarre and the future feels very uncertain and we feel cooped up and we've all lost our routine. But I really do think that it's highlighting people's neuroses with, with food and exercise because we don't feel like we have control over the thing that we exert so much control over. And by we, I don't mean me or you. I mean like us as, as a, as a culture. I 100% agree. The amount of like, um, jokes that I'm seeing about like the quarantine 15, which is like, uh, supposed to be like similar to like freshman 15. Right. Um, or like even not even just jokes, but like outright, like I saw this fitness account, um, posting, about how the quarantine is not an excuse to to not work out and to eat like an asshole. Yeah. And just like so much, the fat, diet culture obviously is always present, but you see it even more, I feel like in times like this. Yeah. Um, and also the even the idea that if you gain some weight, that's a, inherently a bad thing right. is like the underlying theme to all of it, jokes or not. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's really disheartening to see, um, not surprising at all, but again, in like the midst of a global pandemic, one would think that might not be top of mind for people, but it's obvious that it is still very top of mind for people. Right. Right. And it's such a shame too, that, you know, there's almost this fear mongering about quote unquote obesity being a comorbidity, which it's really not. Like it's not, it's, uh, there was even someone who was saying, oh, this, this, I wish I remember, remembered who it was, but this guy or this expert was saying on the news that obesity is a comorbidity. And someone said, wait, 
but why, like why? And he was like, because if you are, are obese, then you probably are more likely to have diabetes, which is okay, just like, wow, that's not, that's not how it works. Not how this like, works. Say diabetes. And there are thin people who have diabetes Absolutely. too. Absolutely. Like just just it's, say diabetes if that's so what you twisted. want to say. Exactly. It's so, mm-hmm. it's just so twisted in everyone's minds. And yeah, so I just, I feel like it really is, again, just highlighting diet culture and almost like magnifying it right now. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, and even too, like, you know, I love that people um, are moving their bodies because it feels good for them. And I think that's healthy if that feels good. But I think there's also this pressure, at least I feel this on the internet, where like, you know, people feel like they have to work out almost or like it's not okay to choose not to during this time. Like you have more time, so there's no excuses. Right. Um, and it's just, you know, and like I get everybody's doing the best. I, you know, I'm really compassionate to everyone because I understand we're all doing the best we can to cope right now. We None of us have ever been through anything like this. Right. Um, but I just see it's like super heightened movement challenges and push-up challenges and um, just this pressure that you have to move your body. And I'm like, or maybe I could just rest my body right now because I'm processing a lot. Yes. Right. And your body always keeps score of what's happening. And there's a lot of unknown, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety that our bodies are not used to. And so also resting is a really great option for your body right now too. Yes. I'm so glad that you said that. Please take this chance to rest if you can. Um, is there anything else that you would recommend people look at maybe if they're feeling stressed about exercise and not really knowing what the line is between exercising for mental health and exercising because they're nervous about their weight? Yeah. I mean, for one, what's been really helpful, I think for myself personally is just, um, and following or muting people. Um, if you're feeling triggered by maybe you're not not feeling like working out a lot right now, which is totally valid and normal and okay during a pandemic or at any time for that matter. Um, And maybe seeing people doing it all the time is feeling triggering because you're feeling guilty about it or whatever, like unfollow people, mute people. Um, And I just always check in with yourself always whenever something comes up like, oh, I should exercise today. I always advise my clients uh, to check in with themselves with curiosity Mm-hmm. Um, not with judgment or whatever, but it's like, okay, I'm feeling like I don't want to work out, but maybe I should. Where, what is the underlying, what is the underlying feeling here? What is the underlying theme? Could I, uh, you know, cause yes, moving your body could make you feel better. Could mm-hmm. I take a walk? You know, right. do I have to move my body in an intense way right now? Or maybe I can just take a walk and get some fresh air and some sunshine and just really checking in without feeling pressure that there's a right or wrong way to be doing things right now. Um, a lot of my clients, uh, I found that they want to continue working out because it normalizes, you know, life. Yeah, for sure. You know, for sure. Like yeah. Having some some sense of normalcy is a really good thing during times like this. So um, I'm obviously modified because no one's going to the gym. But, you know, even I, I have all my clients doing much shorter workouts, 20 minutes of movement mm-hmm. versus, you know, maybe they're spending 45 minutes in the gym before. Um, and also like, obviously what they want to do is of the most importance, not my decision, what they should do for their bodies. Um, but I just think, you know, evaluate all of those things, um, and decide what's the best for you and recognize that every day can feel different, right? Like some days you might wake up like, yeah, I want to go do some pushups or use some dumbbells. And the next day you'll be like, nah, I just want to take a walk today. Or I want to do some yoga, just honor what your body is feeling and remember to check in with your body. Um, and our bodies are really like, they're so intuitive. And I know so much of, so many of us have lost that sense of intuition with our bodies because we've been so programmed by adult guide culture that this is what we need to do. Um, and I think use this time to hone back and to listen to what is your body telling you? What does it want right now? And just honor those feelings. Yeah, that's such good advice. And I I think it's, I've been thinking about this a lot because I, I talk about rest a lot and I think about rest a lot and I encourage people to rest a lot. Um, and I think it's interesting because, well, first of all, I feel like this narrative has sort of emerged that now that we're all staying home, we have all of this time to do all the things that we've been meaning to do, like read all of our books and get into the best shape of our lives and whatever and and rest and be productive and all this stuff. And so people are feeling so anxious, I think maybe not even realizing why, that, that 
that all it's really happening on social media too because that's the only way that we can really see what other people are doing but that we feel like we're not doing quarantine right you know that we're not like that we're not like you know being our finally becoming our best selves in quarantine and i feel like i just want to keep reminding people that this is like this is a really stressful time for right. a lot of people, for a lot of different reasons, this is not inherently rest at all. No, forced um, quarantine is not a rest, right? No, like we, it's not. They made us do this. <laughs> exactly. It's not optional. It's not optional. We feel stuck. We've lost our routines. A lot of people have job insecurity right now. The economy is crashing. There's a virus, which is like the you know the main thing, and people are stuck at home, homeschooling their kids and having to work at the same time. I mean, yes, this is this is, we're allowed to just survive this. 100%. And if we, you know, if we feel like we have the time or the mental space to, to do something supportive for ourselves, yes, we, we should absolutely figure out ways to move our bodies, get some kind of structure if we can, um, take this opportunity. So there are people who are like, oh my God, is it weird that I'm like secretly so excited that I just get to rest for a couple of weeks and don't have to go do a million social obligations? I think that for some people, this is like kind of a great opportunity to be like, I'm just gonna chill. Um, but so many people don't, well, don't have the luxury of doing that. So I just think pointing that out and make, reminding people that this is allowed to be whatever it needs to be and you're allowed to just get by, I think, I think is important. Yeah. And I would just like to add, I mean, everything you just said is so accurate, right? I totally agree with you wholeheartedly. And I also think I would just like to add that, you know, there's so many levels of privilege when we were talking about these Mm -hmm. things anyways, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are people who, like if you don't have the income and you don't know how you're going to pay your rent or buy groceries next week, you can't tell me this is rest, right? No, this is just constant not. stress. There's yes, nothing exactly. stressful about this. Exactly. Um, and, you know, I've, again, I've seen so much of the rhetoric on the internet, like take this time to write that book and create that dream. Like right. all these things. I'm like, okay, cool, 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 cool. Or people are like, I don't know how I'm going to eat tomorrow. Right. I don't know how to pay exactly. my cell phone bill. Exactly. They're not thinking about writing their next work of art at this time and moment in history. And, and again, <laughs> And there's just so like some people are really blessed to have jobs where they can work at home. Some people still have to go out into the world to exactly, do their jobs. Exactly. They're still in contact with people every day. They're putting their life like like we talk nurses, doctors, mm-hmm. mail delivery people, people at the grocery stores. That is not a, a easy peasy. Let's just take some time and relax type of job. And, so, and they're being worked harder than ever. And they're being really. worked harder than ever. And so it's like I, I I just think we have to like always remember, especially when we're posting stuff on the internet, to recognize that your situation is probably different than a lot of people's situations. Mm-hmm. There's so many varying levels of privilege um, that all of us have. None of us are immune from privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think we need to be really cognizant of that um, when we're doubling out this advice about like this is great for us. This is the time the, we're being forced to like sit down and be still. And it's like, okay, cool. Um, but also this is not great for people. And also the other rhetoric I've seen a lot is, you know, I, I also understand that yes, in some regards, the earth is healing, like, you know, mm-hmm. carbon levels are going down in parts of the world. Right, those are, right. those are all very true things happening. Um, but I just, I'm really hesitant about people saying that this is like mother earth is healing itself. Um, because regardless if that's happening or not, lots of people have died. And, and, you know, I think we'd be less flippant about saying things like that. If it was someone close to you that died, um, you wouldn't be like, yeah, that person died, but the earth is in a better place right now. I know there's you know, a lot I- of, there's a lot of weird, greater good talk yeah. going on right now, uh, you know, in many ways. And I think, I think, yeah, just being careful or really looking at like, how is this, how is what I'm about to share right now about right. whatever going to land with people who are in a very different situation than I yeah, am. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then last thing I'll say about this and then um, is that even with just staying at home, like I think about people who don't have good home situations where mm-hmm. it's domestic abuse or whether it's emotional abuse and now you're stuck in the house with that person all the time or kids that are stuck in the house with abusive parents now because they can't even go to school. Like there's just so many things that we have to consider. And it's just, it's very privileged to say like, this is the perfect time for us. I'll take a break. Exactly. That's just not the way this works across the board. Yeah. 
again, like if this is an opportunity for you to rest, great, please rest. But again, we're not all, we're not all so lucky basically. Right. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for being on here today, Chrissy. Oh, thank you. This was such a wonderful chat. Will you let everyone know where they can find you online? Absolutely. So um, mainly I'm on Instagram and on Instagram, it's I am Chrissy King. Um, my website is ChrissyKing.com um, and I'm on Facebook, Facebook.com backslash Chrissy King Fitness. But to be honest, I'm rarely on Facebook. So definitely find me on Instagram or on my website. You can find all of the links to follow Chrissy and to sign up for Chrissy's anti-racism crash course through the show notes of this episode. And in the show notes, you will also find links to all of the resources and the Twitter threads and everything, all the books that I mentioned in the first half an hour of this podcast episode. So please go take advantage of that. And I will be back. I will be back. Let me speak clearly. I will be back in two weeks with another episode. And... For the first time, I'm going to share some bloopers from me trying to start recording this on my fucking phone. Bye. Talk to you in two weeks. There are some birds who keep trying to chirp at me through the window. Um, My dog will probably bark, honestly. Um, But this is just the way that it has to be. Oh, see, Molly's going to bark. Molly's going to bark at my neighbors. Okay. We we must just forge. Fuck me.